Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and today we're talking saddle hunting. Deer season is right around the corner when this episode drops. In fact, the Wisconsin archery opener will be right at about 50 days away, so it's time to be making sure that all your gear is prepped, in line, and ready to go. Uh, one piece of gear that has gotten a ton of attention over the last couple of years is the tree saddle. I've been using a tree saddle now for about three years. Absolutely love it. Uh, whether you love the idea of hunting out of a tree saddle or hate the idea, there's no denying that saddles have made a huge impact on the way that many people hunt, uh, especially those who choose to be either extremely mobile uh, or hunt public land where you can't leave a tree stand in the woods overnight. Um, I've talked to a lot of guys recently who are intrigued by the idea of saddle hunting, but just aren't sure if a saddle is a good fit for their situation. They're not sure if they'd like it. They've not had the opportunity to try it. So I wanted to get someone on the show who is a legitimate saddle expert, and I wanted to give a rundown from someone who's not going to try to sell you a product necessarily, uh, not going to try to say, hey, mine is the only one that you need to go out and get. I wanted somebody who would shoot us straight and be honest. So uh, in this episode, I am talking with Jamie Klein, the owner of Overwatch Outdoors and creator of the Transformer Saddle. Now, Jamie has a ton of experience using a saddle, uh, a lot of experience making all sorts of saddle hunting accessories, uh, not only for himself, but also for others. They're for sale on easternwoodsoutdoors.com. Uh, so he's he's been around the block when it comes to hunting out of a tree saddle. He recently, however, brought to market what many are calling the absolute best saddle out there. Now, you won't hear Jamie say that necessarily, uh, but you'll hear others raving uh, as they review his product. So uh, I wanted to get him on the podcast today. We're going to talk a, a good bit about how to get into saddle hunting. What are some of the necessary things that you need? What's the cost? I know that's a big question about that upfront cost that comes along with saddle hunting and then also just some safety factors and some ways that it can help you and as a useful tool in your arsenal for hunting it's not for everyone but it's all it's certainly one uh, more tool to put into your toolkit to make you a more successful and more comfortable hunter this fall now before we hear from jamie be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode also head over to wherever you access this podcast and leave us a review we want to know how we can make this a better resource for you as Wisconsin sportsmen. And finally, follow us on Instagram where you can keep up with all of our adventures and drop me a message if you'd like and let me know what you think of the podcast, any ideas that you have for ways that we can improve it or topics that you would like to hear us cover in the future. Now with that out of the way, let's get into the conversation with Jamie Klein. All right, on the show with me this week, we have Jamie Klein from Overwatch Outdoors. Jamie, how are you? Oh, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for coming on the podcast, agreeing to do this. Uh, I appreciate you being flexible. We've had a, a few technical uh, glitches here at the beginning, but 
you've been a champ working through it all with me, so I appreciate that. Uh, well, Jamie, I, I met you through the Saddle Hunter Forum. A lot of guys probably don't know what that is who are listening to this. We'll get into that probably a little bit later on about what a resource that forum is. But I met you on there. You were doing a lot of cool things, not just uh, the saddle that you're producing these days, but a lot of cool stuff. Nader and Swader, you had some awesome videos that helped me figure out how to uh, how to one stick. And so uh, I wanted to do a, a podcast episode uh, devoted to saddle hunting and basically asking the question, is saddle hunting a fad? Is it something that's passing or is it here to stay? Is it a legitimate tool in the whitetail arsenal or is it the product of just really, really good marketing? So we're going to get into all that. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into the saddle world? Okay. Um, I'm in the Daniel Boone National Forest in eastern Kentucky. I'm 37 years old. I've I've been in the outdoors for most of my adult life, around 14, I think. I started really getting into, into whitetail hunting, and there's not a lot to hunt here. There, you know, we, we have a lot of whitetail hunting, fishing, a little bit of, you know, turkey's good. They're bringing the elk population back, but it's hard to get drawn for that. But whitetail is the bread and butter here. And, and, you know, most people realize now that Kentucky's not really a sleeper state anymore. It, you know, people know that there's, there's good whitetail here. Cats out of the bag. But, uh. I never, like, I didn't get into it from my dad or uncles or anything. Uh, my mom raised three of us by herself. So, like, all of the uh, outdoor stuff that I wanted to get into, I kind of had to learn on my own and learn as I went, which was, you know, it was kind of a natural thing for me because growing up with a single mom, you just learn how to do things. Like, I, my, me and my brother and my sister and my mom were all good with their hands because, you know, when things break and dad's not around to fix it, you've got to fix it. So that probably contributed to me being really good at figuring things out and, and taking something and maybe repurposing or fishing it. Uh, we'll later get into this, but saddle hunting is 75% of it is tinkering and figuring out how to take gear from rock climbing or the arborist industry and make it work for your hunting needs. Right. And that kind of gave me a leg up too. growing up in the Daniel Boone National Forest. I'm in the, I, my, my mom's house is like a mile from the River Gorge. So I grew up around rock climbing too. And a lot of that rock climbing gear and, and technique transfers over into the saddle hunting world. Very good. So tell me, you're from Eastern Kentucky. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, I think people, th so this, this is the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. I think people can probably tell by your accent that you're not from Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> no, sir. So I'm down here in the south. <laughs> Which I'm from Alabama, so it feels good. Your Your accent sounds like home to me. So uh, it's good to have yeah. you on. At some point, what, I may uh, put a dip in, and you guys will hear my accent change a little bit because you know, not everybody in the South dips, but all the best looking ones do. <laughs> there you go. Hey, they'll probably hear my accent revert. So I try not to have a Southern accent, you know, when I'm doing this or when I'm, but but when I'm talking to somebody from the South, I, I slip back into it pretty quick. So uh, I'll, I'll I, I picked up on it a little bit with you. We're good. <laughs> so tell me about the terrain that you're hunting. So I live basically, most people don't ever think about the state of Kentucky. It's in the middle of nowhere. Right? It's, a, it's almost a flyover Midwestern state, but more, it's a Mid-Eastern state, like they call it. It's basically Kansas, but in the eastern half of the United States. Nobody thinks about Kentucky. Everybody just flies over it or drives through it. But it's, uh, right, I'm on the eastern end, right in the middle of the uh, Appalachian Mountains. So it's pretty hilly terrain, uh, a lot of elevation change. 
there is some farming here. Um, if you can find enough flat ground to throw some type of crop on it, people tend to do that. We used to raise a lot of tobacco, and the uh, government came in about 20 years ago and started paying farmers not to raise tobacco anymore. So then, you know, the government subsidizes farms to not raise tobacco and then also helps them start raising something else like corn or soybeans, which really helped our deer population explode. I remember when I was a kid, you know, when I was 10, 12 years old, and a lot of my friends were getting into hunting and I wasn't yet. Uh, I've never seen a deer. I just have never seen one out in the wild. Right? And then by the time I was 14 to 15, all of that government subsidized farming started to pay off and our deer herd started to take off. Uh, the herd was always great out in Western Kentucky because it's nothing but rolling farmland. But in the Eastern half in the mountains, it's a different, it's a completely different world than the rest of the state. And once they, uh, once the farming kind of came in the, the corn and the soybeans, it really helped the deer population because we have a lot of that edge terrain where you have, if there's a piece of ground in this part of the state that's flat, it doesn't have a tree on it. They cut everything off to get as much flat ground and use out of that flat ground as they can. But those flat fields will butt right up against a little mountain that's covered in trees. So it's hard edges and a lot of terrain changes. A lot of the uh, lakes and rivers. Um, more than anything, it's, it's hard hunting. There are a lot of deer, but it's hard to get to where they're at. Um, I don't really hunt on field edges that much. I hunt a lot back in the timber on ridges because the terrain features make it so much easier to uh, funnel deer traffic down and figure out where they're going to be. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I, I'm not familiar at all with Eastern <clears throat> Kentucky, uh, but I, th I think some of the, the open farmland mixed with the uh, areas of hardwoods and some of the ridges, especially the folks here in southwestern Wisconsin, can probably re relate to something similar. And I wanted to pick up on that a little bit about the terrain that you hunt, uh, because I think we'll find out later on, uh, for a lot of guys, the terrain that they're hunting factors into whether or not a saddle is for them, whether or not it's a, it's a, it's a really good tool. Um, so, uh, also want to ask you a little bit about, uh, your hunting style. Cause I think that plays into some folks and whether or not they use uh, a tree saddle as well. Um, what, wh how would you consider, or what would you consider is like your hunting style? So we've got the folks who are like, Hey, I'm a beast style hunter or whatever, you know, I'm going in and taking bucks down in their, in their one individual bed that I'm hunting. And then you got the other end of the crowd. That's like, I sit on the field edge and I wait for the right time when that buck comes out and makes a daylight appearance and I'm going to be there. So how would you describe your style of hunting? Honestly, it's a, it's more of a mix. And I think it comes from being in Eastern Kentucky, being in the terrain I'm in. A lot, I know a lot of people that hunt field edges and do fine. They get lucky and kill bucks. They kill a lot of bucks, but to really, really get lucky and kill a good buck and, and have constant sightings, not just sightings, but also shot opportunities at deer, you have to get, within 25 to 30 yards, right? And the best place to do that is in those transition areas between the food and the cover, between the feed and the bed, right? So if you get on a ridge top, I, I like to hunt a couple hundred yards off or more off of the field edge, going up a big ridge, up a big mountain. And on top of those ridges, you'll find what we call saddles. Um, I don't know what you'd call them out there in the West where you guys are at, but here we call them saddles in a ridge. So imagine a ridge top going along nice and smooth, and then all of a sudden there's a depression or a dip in that ridge top. And a lot of time that little depression or dip or a little low spot in the ridge top will funnel deer movement up and over that ridge to the other side into the into another valley because you've got ridges and valleys and back and forth. Right? Uh, 
when I first started hunting, I spent a lot of time on field edges and then a lot of times in those transition areas on the, on the edges of fields. And I, I had decent luck. I saw a lot of deer. I didn't get a ton of shots at deer. And it was hard to get in and out of those spots without getting busted. So once I started getting back into the timber and mainly getting back onto those ridges and following benches and saddles and where two or three ridges meet, come together, I started finding those travel corridors that really, really funnel deer traffic. And for me, that's been my bread and butter. I don't really hunt bedding areas. I don't really hunt feeding areas. I hunt some type of pinch point or travel corridor in between the two. That gives me the time to get back into the woods and get in a tree while deer are still on fields in the morning and get set up and let everything settle down and wait for them to come to me. And then once they do come to me, they walk past me and go onto their bedding area and I can slip back out of the timber without disrupting anything. So that seems to be the best, the best mix for me is kind of pumping hard into the woods, find the smart way to get into the woods. You know, go, sometimes that requires going a mile or two around and, and coming up the backside of that ridge instead of going the easy route. But that entry and exit route is so important. That's the most important part. If I can tell any new hunter how, you know, how to kill a deer consistently, or at least have shot opportunities at deer every year, find the entry and exit that gets you in and out of that area without them knowing you're there. And you can't do that hunting food or hunting beds. You just can't do it because if you hunt food sources in, in the evening, you're going to have to get out of that tree at some point and those deer are out there on that food source. They're going to see you or they're going to hear you. They're going to wind you. If you're doing the same thing in mornings on bedding areas, those, you know, if you, you know, get lucky and get back into a, a big bucks bedding area, hopefully you kill him. But if you don't, he's going to lay down and then you're stuck. You've got to find a way out of there with that. And, you know, He's not, you're not going to get down and walk around, walk out of his bedroom without him knowing you're there. So for me, those midpoints, those travel corridors and pinch points, especially on ridges, are my bread and butter because deer walk past me, going somewhere else. They, you know, once they're gone, they're gone, and I can you know get down at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. if it's not an all-day hunt and sneak my way back out of the woods, and they never know I was there. Yeah, I think that's something that's uh, emerging as as kind of a consistent pattern. You know, folks that that I'm having on this podcast and others that I've been talking with about, uh, about hunting, you know, guys that I would consider killers. Um, they're, they're not all in on hunting beds and they're not all in on hunting food. They're doing what you're saying. They're like Tony Peterson said in a podcast I recorded with him a week or so ago. Uh, he said, I, I want to hunt the deer where they're walking. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get in there on their bed. I'm not trying to get in, you know, necessarily out where they're feeding. I want to hunt where they, where they're walking, where they're moving through. So, uh, that's, that's emerging as sort of the, the key that I think is overlooked, especially in, with the buzz today of hunting buck beds or, or, you know, even like I said, on the other end, the, the craze of hunting the, you know, $5,000 food plot that you put in, mm. uh, you know, for the year. Oh, guys are definitely killing deer doing both of those things, but the guys that are consistently getting shot opportunities almost every time they're in the woods, they're doing it the way I'm doing it. And I didn't figure out some grand scheme that nobody else knows it's just a, a thing that i spend enough time in the woods not seeing deer you know and finally just fine-tuned it and figured out okay now i can walk in and that's one thing great about where i hunt now i can look at almost any piece of property and spend a half a day walking it and figure out where the deer movement is and where i want to be because i look for those terrain features more than i look for the food or the bed but knowing where the food is and where the bed is kind of helps you pick a spot in between but Nine times out of ten, I'm not worried about what they're eating or where they're sleeping. I just 
when I hunt a new piece of property, I get up on the biggest ridge I can find and I walk it. And eventually you'll find that point to where, okay, this is a ridge coming in and connects right here, right next to it is a little saddle. And you'll see, if you start looking around, all the deer signs where they walk through. And most of it will be really old and really well worn, especially here on steep terrain. It's almost like goat trails or cattle trails on hillsides. Mm. I mean, there'll be little little flat spots cut into hillsides where they walk so often. You know what? We sh- I should probably back up just a second because I, I think I've made a crucial assumption uh, that I shouldn't have made in this podcast, and that is that everyone listening has heard of saddle hunting. So before oh, yeah. I talk or ask you about what, uh, yeah, I forget there's this little corner of the hunting world that we kind of live in that maybe not everybody else does. Uh, so before I ask you what got you into saddle hunting, what is saddle hunting? Okay, so a saddle is basically an arborist saddle, an arborist harness that someone would use for tree work, but those aren't that comfortable. To, you know, you can, those are for going up in the tree and working a little bit and coming back down. To actually sit in a tree for an entire day, they had to find a way to take that saddle that from the arborist community and make it comfortable. And the way to do that was make almost a little hammock of a seat for your butcher skin, but still have all the safety features, you know, lineman loops and uh, bridge loops and all these things that that you need to hang in the tree safely and comfortably. Uh, when I first started saddle hunting, I think my first saddle, excuse me, my first production saddle was a Arrow Hunter Evolution. That was around 2014, 2015, I think. And it was a great saddle. It was a little bit, a little bit bulky. Everybody complained about that. A little bit heavy. People complained about that. It was a well-made saddle. And uh, the saddle that I make now, honestly, a lot of the inspiration for the Transformer saddle that I make came from that Arrow Hunter Evolution. So we've kind of reverted back. People got on this bandwagon of lighter faster, better, right? And now we've kind of circled back around where we're getting more focused on comfort and less focused on lightweight because the saddle's lightweight anyway. But it's basically a lightweight system, a harness that you wear into the woods or you put into your backpack. It'll fold up to about the size of a tennis ball and you can put it in your backpack and pack it into the woods. And when you get to the base of your tree, you can put that saddle on and use any number of climbing apparatuses or climbing methods to get up that tree that could be climbing sticks it could be uh, one stick could be srt which is single rope technique uh, that comes from the arborist industry there uh people use spikes for tree spurs there are strap-on steps uh wild edge steps which is like a cam over step there there's in the last four years three to four years saddle hunting has really exploded and because of that I think that's carrying over into a lot of the uh, mainstream hunting thing too. I see that a lot with mainstream hunters that are starting to use some of the timing methods that saddle hunters have been using for a long time. But yeah, it's a, so basically you get to the base of the tree, you put your saddle on. If you haven't worn it in, you put your climbing method on the tree, you climb up the tree. And the beauty of it is you're connected to the tree the entire time. From the time you leave the ground to the time you get back down, you are connected to that tree with a rope that's strong enough to hold your pickup truck off the ground. It's the safest way to hunt, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, you know, when I first started looking into saddle hunting, I, I actually, I remember uh, John Eberhart mentioned uh, mentioned saddle hunting in his books. And I was reading one of his books, and he described what he was doing. And I, I think he showed a picture of himself, like 30 feet up a cottonwood mm-hmm. tree or something like that. And I was like, there's no way that's safe. <laughs> like, there, there's no way that you're going to get me hanging from a tree in a little tiny sling uh, 
you know, and, and trying to kill deer from that. But then slowly I began to realize, okay, there's a safety issue here. It's a safety factor as far as like, they, they really are safe. They're using equipment that are from the, the arborist industry and, uh, you know, borrowing stuff from the rock climbing industry. Like mm-hmm. this is stuff people trust their lives to every single day. Uh, certainly it can work for 15 to 20 feet off the ground for, oh, yeah. uh, for whitetail hunting. So we're going to get more into sort of some of the advantages, especially the safety one here in just a little bit, but how did you get into saddle hunting? So <clears throat> for, a, for a long time, you mentioned your first production model saddle. So for a long time, uh, saddle hunters were kind of the mutts of the, uh, of the hunting community because we had to borrow equipment from all over the place. You know, we were borrowing rock climbing harnesses. We were borrowing, uh, arborist harnesses. We were borrowing rope from, uh, this place and that place. We were borrowing, uh, basically winch rope, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with Amsteel, um, trying to hold ourselves up into the tree. So how did you get into it? Because you've been around since before we had all the commercial options available to us. Yeah, I believe the very first saddle that I ever hunted out of was actually a uh, repurposed zipline harness. And I got that. Uh, like I said, I grew up in the Red River Gorge. And big people are big in the zipline in here. We have ziplines running all over the place. So. And I was looking at a zipline harness, and I'd seen the old, uh, what is the, the very first saddle company, not the uh, sling that John Eberhardt used, but the trophy line. I'd seen the trophy line saddle the old school trophy line tree saddle that guys were using back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think. And I thought the same thing as you. I'm like, well, that looks really, really dangerous. Like if one of those traps gives way, you're going to fly backwards off that tree. I didn't have any clue about the weight rating and how much it would take for one of those traps to fail or one of those ropes to fail. But I'd, uh, I'd seen it before. And the thing that kept me from getting into it was always the cost because a saddle was 350 to $400. Yeah? And People, there was no saddlehunter.com, no forum. There was nobody online to get the information from. You just had to try it, you know, buy it, try it, figure it out. And it was, the cost was a big, a big uh, thing that prohibited me from trying it out, I think, because I was a young guy, recently married, had a baby on the way. I was happy and content with the tree stands I was using on my personal farm. Uh, We have a farm not far from where I live now that's around 500 acres. And, you know, it's got a lot of deer on it. And I have tree stands all over the farm. Still to this day, I have tree stands hanging on that farm. I don't hunt out of them uh, per se. I mean, I, I'll go to that tree and climb up it and then put my saddle on and hunt out of that tree stand using it as a platform and, and wear my saddle. But the main thing was the cost kind of kept me from trying it whenever it first came around. And then trophy line kind of died off and saddle hunting kind of died off for a little bit. When I started looking into a, a more lightweight way to hunt, I ended up finding an old zip line harness and trying that. And then I went to the Arrow Hunter Evolution and, and it's progressed now to where I make my own. But the main reason that I got into it was because I moved from my farm about an hour on farther east to a small college town to go back to school. And this is this college town I live in, it's all public land. It's all the Dangaboom National Forest. And you can walk out, you know, walk off of any highway and within 500 yards, you're on public land. So I had all this access to public land, but it's all steep. It's all hard to hike. It's all hard to navigate. And I packed a uh, climbing stand around for about half a season and couldn't do it anymore. Like it's just a climbing stand was too big and bulky. It made too much noise, too heavy. I never really liked climbing stands to begin with. I don't feel that safe in them because the truth is they, you know, they're not that sturdy. I, and you know, guys love them. Great. Keep hunting out of them. Once you start hunting on the saddle, you'll realize 
how unsturdy and how unsafe tree stands really are. Yep. yep. But anyway, I, I hunted uh, that first season. I tried the uh, the saddle hunting out of that zipline harness, and it worked well. I kind of repurposed some things and re-sewn some things. I got my grandma to help me with an old Singer sewing machine and uh, re-sewed a couple of things on it and, and basically modified it to where it worked well for me. And I hunted out of that the rest of that season with a lot of frustration. When you first get into saddle hunting, it's a little bit frustrating because it's different. But if you'll give it a chance, it's uh, it it's a thing you have to practice at. Guys are so used to going and hanging tree stands in the summertime. And anybody that does that realizes that when you go to hang a tree stand, it's just, it's a sweaty, laborious job. The first time you climb with a saddle, it's a sweaty, laborious job too. But if you'll practice at it, you'll get to where you can sneak into the, into a bedding area and climb a tree without ever breaking a sweat or getting winded. And by winded, I mean out of breath. So once I made it through that first season, I started to see the benefits. The first few times I hunted, I thought it was stupid and I just wasted my time and money. But halfway through when I had got enough practice in, I was like, well, okay there really is something here because I, at this point I was still using climbing sticks with the saddle, which, you know, are still kind of heavy and bulky, but I cut that tree stand out. So I'd cut half of the weight that I was packing out and climbing sticks aren't that big and bulky to pack. I would just throw them in one of my hands and my bow in the other hand and I, off I went. So I saw the benefit in taking the heaviest, bulkiest part of the equation out of it, which is the tree stand. And then, you know, that's what most people do when they start saddle hunting. They take the tree stand out and they still use the sticks. Then after their first year, you know, their first season under their belt of saddle hunting, then you, you deep dive into the rabbit hole finding the best climbing method, right? <laughs> That's a deep hole. I'm still in it. Yeah, everybody. You, you mentioned that there's a steep learning curve for saddle hunting, right? And I think there are probably a lot of guys who are going to listen to this and say, I don't have a problem with my tree stands. I'm perfectly happy with my tree stands. I, you know, I, I go out and I have this, you know, sweaty, terrible experience during the summer, hang them all up. And then I'm good for the rest of the year. Uh, or maybe we've got a lot of guys who are saying, you know what, I'm out on public land and I'm sick of taking this thing in and out with me all the time. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a minute ago, trying to haul around a climber. You're not a, you're not an unfit dude. I'm so, a pretty, I mean, I'm a pretty fit human. Yeah. You're, you're a pretty, you're a pretty fit specimen. So it's not like you're just like, Oh, I just don't want to carry some weight. Like you, you're fit and capable and it's still got to be, got to be too much for you. So why do you think the average guy and maybe address it from both a public land and a private land perspective? Because those are very, very different things. When we think about the gear and equipment we're going to use, you know, private land, we may hang a hundred tree stands hanging around the place. Uh, public land, we're probably trying to think, okay, what's the lightest thing that I can use to get in and out of here. Uh, why should guys give this a shot if they think, you know what, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing and it sounds like there's a big learning curve. Like, why do you think they should do it? Well, the good thing is, and you guys bear with me, I, I can talk for days and I will get off on a tangent and I'll probably not answer the, the original question you asked me because I'll answer four <laughs> or five more on the way. Right? We'll bring you back around. It's a Southern thing. We like to talk. That's right. Um, so the good thing for most guys now guys that are listening now that have never tried it is there was a huge learning curve when I first got into it because there were no YouTube videos. There was no forum to go to to ask questions. There were no Facebook groups. You had to figure it out. Now there's so much information out there and you can find you know, a YouTube video about anything that you want to check into. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Some of them are guys that are trying things for the first time and trying to you know sway people to try it. 
And you can tell when you watch these, okay, this guy hasn't practiced enough, right? Uh, One-sticking is a great example. There are lots of one-sticking videos that you see with guys that obviously haven't practiced enough to be fluid at it. And then yep. there are guys that can fly off a tree with it. So find the info that that works. You know, it shows you the proper way to do it from a guy that looks like he's doing it in a fluid manner that looks like he's practiced it. But all that information is out there now. So the learning curve is not as big a factor as it used to be. So that's one one great thing about it. But the uh, as far as public and private land, for public land, definitely a saddle, in my opinion, is the way to go. Like I said, I, I hunt around a, a, a summit climbing stand for a season here in Moorhead. And, you know, if I was out in, I assume Kansas is pretty flat, right? If I was out in Kansas, whatever, pack your climbing stand around. It's not that, you know, you're walking on a sidewalk, basically, through your tree stand. But here in the mountains, you can't do it. And like you said, I, I'm 6'2", 200 pounds, work out for a couple hours every day. I'm in good shape. And I still hated packing that climbing stand around. Yeah, I still, it was, you know, it's just cumbersome. So to get into and out of public land quietly, you need to get, you need, first you need to reduce the bulk. And a climbing stand or even a, a hang-on stand is wider than you are. And it's going to hit every tree limb on the way in. It's going to make noise. It's going to leave scent. You've got to hang that thing. You're hanging metal parts on a tree. So you've got noise. You know, that's another thing that people overlook with the saddle thing is it's pretty silent. But uh, the main thing is, is the weight and the bulk. You can take any saddle on the market and carry that thing into the woods and not even know that you're carrying it. Or you can wear it into the woods. If that's I, I carry mine personally. I put it in a backpack and I pack it in. There are lots of guys that wear those in. And once you once it's on your body, you don't even really know it's there. So you cut back on the weight. You cut back on the bulk. You cut back on the noise. And you only need one. You buy one saddle, it seems like a big investment because that's one of the things that kept me out of it is the investment up front. It's, it's expensive. The rope is expensive. The saddle's expensive. All the gear is expensive. But then if you sit down and break it down, it's not as expensive as you think it is because you only need one. You buy one saddle and you get one climbing method. Hopefully, if you're like most of us, you end up buying all of them and trying out. But <laughs> you get one saddle, one climbing method, and that goes into and out of the woods with you every time. So it's not going to get stolen. It's not heavy to pack. And with practice, you can do it proficiently. So, you know, it, it was a no-brainer for me once I got the practice in. That's the big part. And guys buy one and they try to go out and hunt that first season without practice, and they get frustrated. The guys that put in the work and practice in the summer or even practice, you know, for a couple of weeks in the season before they go out on that first hunt, those guys tend to do well with it. And even on public or on private land, I own a 500 acre farm, like 45 minutes from where I live right now. And I, I hunt there more than I hunt public land these days. I have tree stands hung on that farm for my brothers to hunt at it. I, I go up those same trees, but I never use the tree stand. A little funny thing about it, once I got into uh, hunting out of a saddle, I hunted that half a season out of the saddle. And then I hung it up. I practiced all summer. The next year I went to hunt my, my, my private farm and I forgot to take my saddle with me. And I thought, well, no, no big deal. I'll, I'll climb up one of the tree stands, right? I never wore a harness in a tree stand in my entire life. I always felt comfortable napping in a hang-on stand with no harness. I climbed up the, I climbed up that tree stand and hunted for the first time in a year out of a tree after wearing the saddle, and I was scared to death the whole time I was in that tree stand. I couldn't stand up to draw my bow. I couldn't really move around. I, I, I was just petrified that I was going to fall out the front of this thing, and I'd never felt that before. Once I once I really 
came to understand the safety and feel the way a, a saddle just feels safe once you're in the tree because you know you're not coming out of it. You can't fall out of it. There's no possible way. You're attached to the tree and you're not going to fall. So once I, once I think my subconscious experienced that safety factor, it was impossible for me to ever hunt out of a tree stand again. Um, you know, not that I wouldn't, but I, I wouldn't be comfortable doing it. And I've done it. I just, I hated it the whole time I was in the tree stand. So once guys get into it and try it, I think that you realize, like, okay, this, this is the way, right? It's definitely the safest, like I said, it's the safest way up and down tree. Yeah, absolutely. So you just touched on a lot of different, I think, really big benefits to a saddle and reasons folks should try it. You know, that uh, the, the reduction in bulk, I think, goes a really, really long way. Um, and oh, let me, you uh, know, if you don't mind me stopping for a second on that, yeah, go ahead. That's the thing people don't understand. I would rather pack 50 pounds in my backpack, right? I've got a, a Kafari backpack and frame, I carry about 50 pounds in that thing every hunt, half the stuff I don't need, but I carry it with me because it doesn't bother me to pack it. That Kafari backpack and frame makes it so nice to carry through the woods, right? I would rather carry 50 pounds in my backpack than 20 pounds spread out like a climbing stand is. Because yep. that 20 pound climbing stand is so much more cumbersome than the 45 pounds that I carry in my backpack that has extra clothing, water, food, my saddle, all my robes, backup equipment in case I get in a bind in a tree. Uh, you know, I carry all kinds of extra junk with me that I don't need to carry, but I don't mind to carry it because it packs so well. Whenever I was hunting to have a climbing stand, I was ditching my backpack most of the time and stuffing my pockets full of stuff because that climbing stand alone, it was 14 pounds. And just that 14 pound open, summit open shot climbing stand was so cumbersome to pack through the woods that I, I couldn't tolerate packing anything else with me. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, but I hunted out of a summit for a long time. Uh, it wasn't, uh, the open shot like, like you had with like the hand climber kind of thing, yeah. but I took the front rail off of it and kind of made it into one. But, mm -hmm. but even, even then the thing was bulky, you know, the straps would, or the, what do you call it? The things that would go around the tree, they'd oh, hang yeah. down and stuff would snag on them. And, and then, you know, limbs would come back and slap the, the aluminum stand and it would echo through the woods. And then I noticed, I started to say, you know what, it'd be really great to go another 50 or 75 yards down that direction to check out what's over there. Like if I'm scouting my way in, but mm -hmm. I think I'm not going to do that. It gets too thick and I don't want to make a bunch of noise with this stand. Yep. So I wasn't hunting in the spots that I wanted to be hunting in with the, with the summit climber because I knew my equipment was going to make too much noise working my way into there. And not just that going up and down the tree, up and going up and down the tree with a climbing stand is it, it's like dragging a sack of pop cans through the woods. <laughs> I guess you guys would call them soda cans. We call them pop cans. Then, so. But it, it might, or beer cans, you know, dragging a sack of beer cans through the woods. is kind of like going up and down a tree in a fire. That's right. That's right. And then, you know, and that other piece, that safety piece, you know, I think a lot of guys still aren't attached to the tree. You know, guys aren't using lifelines a lot of times and things like that, you know, with a, with a saddle there, you don't have a choice. I mean, yeah, you're, that is your, that's how that's you climb. That's another thing about it. Uh, you know, it, it almost makes you be safe without, without you having to, you know, I was a guy that never wore climbing lines. I didn't, I've never owned a, a, a safety harness for a tree stand. You know, the, the stands that I did buy that came with those, they just got tossed in the barn. I never used them. So with the saddle, you know, the, you're, you have two ropes that you use primarily with the saddle. You have your tether, which is the rope that goes around the tree that you hang from. Then you have your lineman's belt, which goes from a loop on your left hip around the tree to a loop on your right hip. 
that's what you lean back into. I mean, a lot of guys with the, that hang stands using safety harnesses are probably familiar with the lineman belt, but uh, the tether is, you know, that's your main lifeline. That's what you're, that's, you're hanging from the tree on your tether. It comes down and connects into your saddle. But because of the, uh, the, the climbing methods that you use with saddle hunting and the way that you climb with a saddle, it almost requires you to use those things. So without even being safety conscious, you're being safety conscious. Yeah, you rely on them to be able to get proper, uh, I guess you'd call it proper grip a lot of times on the tree. Positioning, or, you know, things like that. Yeah, positioning, yeah. yeah you're using that as leverage to, to get yourself up to the next the next piece. So, uh, And another thing, too, you've mentioned a little bit that saddles are lightweight. And for folks that don't know <clears throat> what what that means, so the saddle that I currently hunt out of is lighter than my old muddy uh, safety harness that I used to wear in. I had the real yeah. small, just very thin strip, muddy safety harness. And that thing I think was somewhere around four pounds. Uh, mm-hmm. if you weighed it like 3.8 pounds or something like that. Um, sa- even, even heavy saddles these days well, are under, are I think under I've got or one close of the heaviest, to. I think my saddle that I produce, the transformer is one of the heaviest saddles on the market and it's two pounds. Wow. So, okay. So it's, yeah. it's right at two pounds, right at two pounds with a bridge on it. And we're talking, that's the behemoth. Yeah, (laughs) you know, if if you want to talk weight, right? Yeah, that's the Mac Daddy. If you're if you're just talking weight, so um, and I I think a final a final piece to this that um, you know, one thing that I have found useful uh, if you're hunting with, let's say, a kid, and you've got your kid in a tree stand, you know, your your choices essentially are uh, get them into a double man ladder stand with you, Mm -hmm. uh, or with a saddle. I've found you can you can put a couple folks in in the same tree if you want to. I mean, you can get real, you can, you can get real close. Uh, yeah. I know guys that wear the saddle, they put a tree stand up and they have their kid hunting the tree stand and they wear the saddle and hang on the tree right behind them or right above them. And then also this is the thing I'm working on. It's, it's, you know, so I recently have started an actual like saddle company. I've been making them for guys for years. And then I started making them myself and selling them. Now we've kind of gone big time. Like I've found a, we'll get into that later, but found a factory to produce them all that. So we're going like, we're going big time. But one of the things that I've been working on is I've been making uh, youth saddles, kids saddles. And I make those for friends and give them away most of the time or charge guys the amount it would cost for the the, uh, materials. Just to get kids in trees. And it's, you know, it's the safest way to get a kid in a tree. I hope to bring a kid saddle to market sometime soon. The problem with that is nobody wants to insure a kid saddle. Like nobody wants to That's put right. kids up on a tree, right? Yeah. But yep. if we can swing that, I would like to do a, a kid size saddle. Uh, a lot of kids hunt have an adult saddle, and it works, but it's not optimal. You know, it's a little big. It's like it. It's like whenever you hand down your old hunting jacket to your kid, it works, but it's swollen and whole. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I would like to eventually do a kid saddle. I could. Man, that'd be sweet. My kids love swinging in my saddle from a tree. Um, they they use it and goof around and um, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't for a second question their safety in a saddle though. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I think it's it's. Oh it's, man, I've already designed it and everything. Like the way that I design my kids' saddle, there's no buckles or anything. You're strapping them into it and they can't come out of it. Like you strap them in, there's no quick release buckle. You have to take it up back off of them. It's a good you know it it may be a thing someday. Hopefully. That's awesome. Well, you got to let me know if that thing comes to market. I want to be one of the first ones signing up for it. Uh, okay, so we've talked about why a guy who currently just uses tree stands should consider jumping into a saddle. I think another fear that's out there 
uh, for guys who maybe are considering making the jump is, uh, is it, it, it could potentially cost me a deer to, to use that kind of, or to make that kind of switch in my gear could potentially cost me a deer. If I get out there and I get all turned around and I can't get it figured out, have, have you, so you've been hunting out of a saddle for how many years? Oh, since about 2015, 2016, that's it. Okay. So a couple of years. Yeah. Have you lost, have you missed a deer because of your saddle yet? Oh no, it's opened up all kinds of opportunities for me. Uh, everybody knows this feeling that everybody that's ever spent time in a tree stand and had a deer walk by knows this feeling. I don't know why, but they know you, they walk by and at some point they stop and look directly at you. They burn a hole for you and they bob the head and they're trying to get you to move because you don't look natural hanging off the side of a tree in a tree stand. It's an odd thing. And even if you put that tree stand up back in the summer and you give deer time to get used to that tree stand, the first time they see you in that tree stand, now you're a big hump sticking off the side of that tree. And it just mm-hmm. looks unnatural. So that's why deer come and just stop and stare at you. Plus, when you're in that tree stand, it's fixed on the tree. You're stuck in a position that the tree stand is hanging on the tree. And that works fine for the guy that thought ahead and thought about the sun, what, you know, when the sun's coming up in the morning or going down in the evening, what angle the sun is hitting you at. That's thought about the wind. That's thought about all these, the background cover, you know, hoping that they're, you're high enough in the tree that deer won't really spot you, but you're low enough that you're still in that cover of the branches. So yeah, And hoping saddle, that that deer came in just right. Hoping yeah. that that deer came in at just the right angle. Because if they come in where you didn't expect and maybe where you didn't have enough cover, you're busted. Exactly. So with the saddle, the thing that's worked with me really well, uh, you'll hear a lot of guys talk about being able to shoot 360 degrees in a saddle. And that's possible. It's great. It works. You know, you put a ring of steps or a platform on a, on a tree. That's you, When you're hanging in the saddle, you have to have something to rest your feet on. And guys will either go with a platform, which is like a tiny, tiny little tree stand platform that you put on the tree that you can use to rest your feet on. Or there are uh, steps that are specifically made that are little tiny one-inch wide steps that are on a ratchet strap that go on a tree, and you'll have four or five of those steps around the tree. You place them out evenly around the tree. That way you can step from one step to the next to the next and go and walk all the way around that tree while you're still hanging from the tree. And that works you know, for a lot of guys. It's fine. I don't particularly do that. Generally, when I sit up a tree stand, I know what side of the tree the deer are going to be walking on. Just like every guy that's – or when I sit up a tree stand, you know, every guy there does the same thing. When I'm doing a saddle hunt, I do the same thing as when I'm hanging a tree stand. I generally know where most of the deer movement's going to be. So I, I set myself up in the tree to where I have a really easy shot off to that side of the tree to that area where the deer are going to be. The thing you gain with a saddle is that when those deer come from a direction you didn't expect them to come from, you can pivot around that tree and get a shot. The other thing, and the main thing, you know, that that's the whole point of being able to shoot 360 around the tree. The more important part to me has been able to conceal myself from deer that are approaching. So if I have, uh, I'm, I've set up on the route, um, there's a trail below me on this hillside. I know the deer are going to walk this trail. I'll sit up to where my left arm, my left side is off to that area. So I you know, have a good clean shot with my bow without having to move. And then the benefit of being in a saddle is you're facing the tree. Those deer are coming from out in front of you. You're behind that tree, so they never see you. You know, you're 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 on the off side of the tree. You can lean around a little more, or a little less, go left or right. But you can keep that tree between you and the deer. And 
that seems to have helped me a lot with, uh, you know, never losing a, a shot at a deer because of my saddle. It's actually gained shot opportunities because I don't have those issues where deer walk in and do the, the head bob, freaking out, trying to figure out what I am. A big part of that I attribute to, uh, if you look at a guy in a saddle on a tree and think about it from a deer's perspective, you don't look like a, a big blob hanging off the side of a tree like you do in a tree stand. You look almost at, at the angle that you sit in, looks like a limb coming off of that tree. So you've got your base, your big trunk of the tree, and then your body is another big limb coming off of that tree because it comes off at the same angle a big tree limb would. And it may be new. Deer may notice that there wasn't a limb there before, but I think that they, you know, they live in the woods their entire life. So they're so used to seeing that shape and that angle that they, they blow it off a lot easier. Yeah, it's not a it's not a foreign angle no. for them to see in the woods. So it's not a perpendicular angle at all. It's you know. So do you feel like you get busted more or less in a saddle as opposed to a tree stand? I've been busted two times since I started using a saddle. Okay. Uh, the first time was the first time I used a saddle, and uh, that was my fault. I got everything I needed to go saddle hunting, and I got it all in the mail. You know, probably got my whole kit together by about a Thursday or so that Saturday morning without any practice. I took the tree and the saddle out in the woods and the sticks out in the woods. And I went up a tree and it took me about 35, 40 minutes to get up to about 20 feet, soaking wet and sweat, frustrated. It was early season. Bugs were out. I was, I was hot. Right? And, uh, honestly, it was a terrible tree. And I was, I'm sure I was stinking to high heaven because you know, it was hot and I'd worked my guts out getting up the tree because I didn't practice first. And I sit up on the wrong side of the tree, you know, where like I had, I had my back to where the deer were coming because I hadn't, I hadn't saddle hunted yet. I didn't know how to sit up at the right angle and all that. So I'm sitting there with my back to where the deer are going to be. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I've seen guys do this in saddles. I can swing around and shoot if I need to. And the first doe that came through, I thought, okay, here we go. I went to swing around to shoot that doe and, you know, it didn't work because you're still an idiot hanging off the side of a tree and you're moving. <laughs> you're the deer, you know, you don't still got to be careful with your movement. Yeah, huh? It doesn't make you a ninja overnight. Right? It's not an, it's not an invisibility cloak. Is that what no, you're saying? No, that's the first thing I think that people, I, I, you know, I learned a lot from that first experience. And then the next time I got busted, it was the same thing. I got a lot better, but it's still movement. I think that you you have so much freedom of movement in a saddle, that if you're not careful, you'll swing around because it's fun. You know, yep. like you yep. can, you can do whatever you want. You can take a, I take a nap in mine all the time. You, if you get un- uncomfortable, you can put your feet on one side of the tree or the other, or put the tree in your crotch or lean back, or, you know, lean forward and rest your head on the, uh, on the bridge and take a nap. You can just move a lot in a saddle and, and do it safely. So I think a lot of guys move a lot more than they should when they first start saddle hunting. Yeah. I, I fell into that me. trap. Oh, yeah. I, I, man, I definitely fell into that trap on a, on a, I even caught myself last year, you know, I'd been hunting out of a saddle for a couple of years and on, there was a, a real windy day and, uh, it was borderline a little sketchy, but not unsafe. Right. So I'm up there in this tree and the wind's blowing. And I realized that I'm just like swaying with the wind and kind of going around with it. I'm like, man, I got to calm down. Like I'm having fun obviously, but it's like, I'm not here to, to swing in the wind. I'm here, <laughs> here to kill a deer. So I need to get mm-hmm. that under control. Uh, I, you know, I haven't been busted very often in a saddle either. Uh, the times that I have been busted in a saddle is because I'm in a tree that I almost have no business being in. Um, because saddles have allowed me to get into really, really small trees. And when I say really small, I'm talking 
you know, if I put my hand up next to it and I don't have huge hands, put my hand up to it, you know, my hand is basically the width of the tree. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? We're talking really, really small trees that, you know, if you move the tree, you know, you move the tree with you, um, you know, super tiny trees, but it's the only place that I could get into. You know, when I moved here to Wisconsin, I used to hunt in Alabama. When I moved here to Wisconsin, uh, we don't have the nice straight pine trees like we used to have down in the pine plantations of Alabama. We've got Mm -hmm. a lot of really small, really scraggly, uh, leaning, hard leaning trees. And, uh, you know, most of the spots that I hunted last year here in Wisconsin, I could not have gotten a tree stand into anything within 40 or 50 yards of where I felt like I needed to be to get a shot at these deer. And that's another benefit, you know, like that's, yeah. that's another major benefit of a shadow is you can hunt a tree the size of your fist if you needed to. As long as the tree is big enough to support your weight, you can get in it and hunt it with a saddle. You can, you can get into almost anything. I, I got into one last year that was leaning, uh, so badly that I basically, once I got up into it, I kind of just, I, I, instead of getting on the underside of the lean, you know, the bottom of it, I got up on the top and I kind of just mm-hmm. sat up on top of the tree <laughs> and yeah. just, you know, sat there. And that was my position for the day as I was sitting on this basically, you know, almost 45 degree leaning tree. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to argue that that's comfortable because it's not hard leaners are not, they're not comfortable, but if you're, if you're dedicated enough to get in that tree and stick it out because you know it's the spot to be and it's the tree to be in, you can make it work with the saddle. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So this one, uh, it was an evening hunt in September. There was CRP field out in front of me. There was a strip of timber, roughly 110 yards wide. And then there was a cornfield and I was sitting over a Creek crossing between, between the two. And oh, so you were like, in the spot. I was, yeah, I was in the, I mean, there was, there was nowhere else to be, but I couldn't have climbed any of the trees in the area with a climber and I certainly couldn't have gotten a lock on into any of them. So we've talked about the benefits of a saddle. I'm going to assume that somebody out there is silly enough to go down this rabbit hole of saddle hunting. Maybe we've convinced someone, okay, they should give it a shot. What are the essential components? Cause you've mentioned the cost a couple of times, which if you look at some of the high quality tree stands and high quality sticks that are being produced today, um, saddle hunting is not expensive anymore. It's not as bad. Uh, quite as it like used it to used be. to be. No. No, you look at the Lone Wolf Custom Gear or some of those other tree stands that are coming out right now, five hundred dollar tree stands. Man, that's that's a whole tangent that we could get off on, but like I, I just don't understand how we became a group of people that are willing to pay four hundred dollars for a set of climbing sticks. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, I, whatever. It but, blows my mind. Blows my mind. So but but the guy that's sitting back and says, Okay, I might want to give it a try. When you say expensive, Jamie if I go in for quality equipment, but I'm not necessarily trying to break the bank, I'm not going to buy the $120 a piece climbing sticks or whatever. How much are we talking? Well, if you've got a pen and paper guys out there in podcast land, we'll just go ahead and put it on paper. We can see what it's going to cost you. I got it. Let's do it. Okay. So your first thing you're going to have to do is don't buy anything. Get on saddlehunter.com, get on the Facebook groups and start doing the research figuring out what's going to work for you, what looks interesting to you. You know your hunting style. You know your comfort needs more than than the average dude on the internet that can recommend something to you. So you figure out what you think is going to work for you. Watch YouTube videos, do the research before you ever spend any money. Because I guarantee you doing that will save you money in the long run. Yep. The second piece of advice I give everybody, and this goes for bows, trucks, guns, dogs, whatever. Buy what you want the first time. 
Because if you don't buy the thing you want the first time and you try to save money and skimp and go with something that you think may work as well, you're going to end up buying that thing that doesn't work as good as you thought it would and spending that money and then going and buying the thing you originally wanted anyway. So, you know, the buy once, try once thing is a big thing for me. Buy the yep. best that you can afford, buy the best that you can get, bite the bullet and do it, and you'll be happy with it. You won't waste money with just buying gear that you're not going to use. Yep. One one step before that, you mentioned the Saddle Hunter Forum. Uh, I think it's a wonderful resource for guys. I, I I can't say enough about not only the forum and how it's run, but the guys that are on that forum. Uh, just oh, a, yeah. a great group of guys. And uh, you get on there, tell folks where you're at. People will either meet up with you and let you try out their equipment. Half of them will probably send you their equipment in the mail to try out. And as long as you promise to send it back or whatever, I mean, just a great group of guys who want to help you out. Yeah. I don't know if we should advertise that for them too much or not and have it flooded with the people because the people that are there, have, the guys that have been there the whole time, I remember when that forum had like a thousand members and now it's exploded to 50 or 60,000, I'm sure. But there are guys there that are just good, decent human beings. What, my girlfriend Taylor helps me run our business and she answers all the emails and questions, you know, through Facebook and all this stuff. And if she doesn't know the answer, then she either gives that person my number or she comes and asks me and, and she conveys the information. But one thing that she always says is like saddle hunters are the best people she's ever interacted with. They're all just great, great people. I've never ever had a negative experience on saddlehunter.com. Every guy that I've ever dealt with on there has just been a straight up, honest, good human being. And that was, uh, it was kind of a brotherhood early on, like guys figuring out, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We were figuring it out. I came in with a little rock climbing knowledge and that, that allowed me to make some YouTube videos way back in the day. They're not great videos. I shot them all in one take on a cell phone, but they're there. And they showed guys how to safely go up and down a tree with a rappel rope, SRT, whatever we were using, right? And those guys there, they've been doing it for a long time. They love to share the information that they've, they've gathered over the years. There's no stupid question. If you have a question, you put it out there and you will get 10, 15, 20, 30 replies with guys like, hey, yeah, I can help with that. If you have, uh, I see it all the time with guys like, hey, man, I'm on a budget. I really have, I can't decide between these two pieces of equipment, right? What do you guys think? And I've seen it so many times, guys will be like, hey, I've got an extra one of those. I'll mail it to you if you want to try it out, you know, before you buy it. Yep. That happens yep. daily on that website. It's a great group of guys that are there for the right reasons, man. They, they don't want to, they don't fight and bicker over politics, dumb stuff. They, uh, they're just helping each other out, trying to figure this thing out as we go. See, so, yeah, I definitely recommend that. That can help keep the cost down at the beginning. Well, not just that, the classifieds on there, they have a classified section. Um, you know, they do a really good job trying to keep scammers and people out of that. But I recommend most guys when they contact me, hey, I'm looking to get into something cheap. Get on the Saddle Hunter forum and, and go to the classified section and buy used gear from people. You know, it's most people on there, they're selling gear that they use for a month. <laughs> you know, yeah, hey, if I that, it's something they tried out in their backyard. Exactly. You know, so you can save some up front doing that. All right, back yep. to the, uh, the original cost. Yep. All right, so you're going to need a saddle, first and foremost, right? Okay. Those are going to range anywhere from. There are some really cheap options that are decent options that are like $150, $160. The uh, Treehopper Recon, not just because I'm working with this guy and he's helping me produce saddles, but the Treehopper Recon is it's the original saddle design, the, the Anderson Slayer. Uh, Tethered has the same, the same version. It's the Eberhardt Signature Series. It's the same saddle. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's still, I think, $200. So 
that's on your cheaper end. And then you can go all the way up to $300 for, you know, a saddle. I think the saddle I produce and sell is $275 plus 15 shipping, you know. And that's about what you're going to pay for a high-quality saddle. From for any of the big saddle manufacturers, you're going to pay around $275, $285. Maybe, I think uh, Arrow Hunter in there for a while was doing those for $255, $260. But, you know, you get the idea. It's going to be somewhere above $250, more than likely, but less than $300. That's for your saddle. If you're buying it new, that saddle is more than likely going to come with a bridge on it, which is the rope that goes from one side to the other that you connect your tether to. You're going to need to buy a tether and a lineman's belt. Those are the same rope. They're about a 10 to 12 feet piece of rope with a stick or some other type of friction hitch on it with a caravan. They make a lot of saddle companies make those as kits that they sell. Uh, I highly recommend Eastern Woods Outdoors. Dano, who runs Eastern Woods Outdoors, has gradually built a uh, a website devoted to knuckle, nothing but saddle hunting, and he has everything you could ever want. And super nice guy. Everybody you'll deal with there is super nice. And you you can email those people and tell them what you want, and they'll they'll put a kit together for you and probably save you a little money. But you're going to need the saddle. We'll say two hundred seventy five dollars. The uh, the tether and lineman's belt. You're looking at what is it around 80 90 bucks for both of those most of the time yep yep that will get you in a tree if you already own some type of climbing method most of you guys own climbing sticks of some kind right unless you're using a climber you may end up needing to buy some sticks there are sticks out there that i have a set of sticks in my bin right now five sticks were eight hundred dollars they're not sticks they're machined like a bow riser i mean they're they're machined out of one solid block of aluminum, and they are nice. I don't know that they're eight hundred dollars nice, but they're nice, right? I didn't pay that. But anyway, uh, you can go that route all the way down to uh, your muddy pro sticks or your hot helium sticks. If I was a new guy and I was just getting into it, I wouldn't try one of the fancy climbing methods up front. I would buy a set of sticks, either the hot helium or the muddy pro. You're going to spend $130, $140, and you're going to have a whole set of climbing sticks. You can take your new saddle, your new ropes, new climbing sticks. You can go out and hunt and be fine. You can hunt that way the rest of your life, and you'll be perfectly fine. Uh, you're probably going to want – I mean, that, that's all you need, really, to get started. So what, what, what total are we at with that? Yeah, so, so we, are, we are anywhere between 330 and – uh, $480. So uh, for, for under $500 and that's assuming they bought all new gear. Yeah. That's assuming they didn't get anything, uh, off of the classified somewhere. It's assuming that they didn't have climbing sticks laying around, uh, or, you know, a suitable rope for a tether and lineman's belt, those sorts of things. Yeah. So under, under $500, which still seems like a big investment, right? It does. Um, yeah. For something we don't know we're going to like. Yeah, and I'm, I, right. I remember being the uh, 21, 22-year-old guy that, that that investment wasn't reasonable for me. Yep. You know? Yeah, um, but another another good thing, though, if they do take that plunge, uh, one of the things you'll notice, uh, things hold their value really, really well. They do. Especially if you buy it off the classifieds from saddlehunter.com, let's say, you can pretty much turn around and sell it for what you bought it for, and you're just going to be out the shipping costs. Pretty much, yeah, because there's always somebody out there like you that's wanting to try that. That's right. 
you know, don't overpay for things. But I, I try to find things on sale. I buy a lot of things from the classifieds myself. I've traded a lot of things. There, that's always the good thing about the classifieds on Shadow Hunter is, you know, guys are, hey, I've got this, you've got this. You want to trade? Um, but no, I, that, that setup that we've talked about, a set of climbing sticks, a saddle, and two ropes, you can hunt all you want to hunt with that. And you can do it at half the weight and half the bulk that you're used to using with a tree set. Now, here's where the, and it's, $500 seems like a lot. $480 seems like a lot of money because it is a lot of money for most people. It's a lot of money for me. But you only have to buy that one time. You don't need 10 tree stands. You don't need 10 sets of climbing sticks. You don't need to go hang those and hope that somebody doesn't steal them. They go into the woods with you. They go out of the woods with you. If you decide to hunt a, spot, a different spot the next day, you don't have to go move anything because you've got everything with you. You pack your sticks and your saddle in. You hunt. You come back down. You take it down. And you can go hunt somewhere new tomorrow. So that one saddle and one set of climbing sticks is going to last you years. And over years, that investment doesn't seem as bad. right? Because tree stands, let's be honest, I have a lot of hang-on stands hanging on my farm right now that I had left up from last year or maybe even the year before. I need to go take those things down because they're death traps. <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. That saddle, you're taking it in and out with you. It's not, it, it's not out in the weather. It's not going to go bad. Yep. You know, one, one thing that we didn't cover now that I'm looking at it, we missed the, uh, we missed where you're going to put your feet. Oh, it's the platform or a ring of steps. Man, that's another added cost. Whenever I first started getting into, getting into saddle hunting, the uh, big thing was a ring of steps and they were the old API step or not API. Uh, who made those? They were plastic steps. Ameri- on- was it a mare step? A mare step, yeah. Yeah, those things used to be worth gold. Oh, well, they, they were like $4 each at Walmart, right? But nobody used them. And then they stopped making them, and saddle hunters found a use for them, but they didn't make them anymore. So they were $25, $30, $40 a piece <laughs> per step, and you needed four or five of them. So you're looking at you know $125 to $150 for your platform. Now you can buy those things for nothing. And you can buy them new for reasonable prices. They're made out of aluminum now at Eastern Woods Outdoors. It's the uh, squirrel step. That's, I tend to point most people in the uh, ring of steps direction to start with because I think it, it opens up a lot. You have a lot more options with it and it packs down smaller. You know, it's easy to figure out. A platform is easy too. There's a little bit more of a learning curve with sitting it up. But once you figure out how to sit it up, it works really well. If I'm going to hunt all day, like daylight to dark, I'm hunting off of a platform, which would be the one I recommend the most is the uh, the tethered predator platform. It's a great platform. Trophy Line makes one. Cruiser makes one. I mean, there are all kinds of people making platforms now. They're anywhere from $150 to $180, which is kind of pricey. But you take that in and out with you all the time, too. You only need one. The ring of steps is going to cost you, if I was a guy on a budget, I would order four from Eastern Woods Outdoors or try to get them on the classifieds and you're going to pay around a hundred dollars. Right. But they last forever. You take them in and out with you. So we're, our totals up pushing almost $600 now. Right. Yep. Okay. How much is a new, uh, lone wolf tree stand and set of sticks? Oh my goodness. Just, I mean, you mean the lone wolf custom gear guys? I mean, you're looking at $500 for the stand alone. Yeah, and it, that's trickling down into every stand manufacturer. They're all getting crazy, right? You used to be able to buy the uh, the Ameristep tree stands at Walmart on clearance around Christmas time for like 20 bucks each. You can't do that anymore. Uh, everything's getting higher. So when you when you it seems like a really high investment 
but when you offset it with the cost of tree stand gear and other hunting gear, it's not, you know, it's in the same ballpark. Um, you buy that setup and it lasts, you'll, you'll move on to something else before you wear that out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, bu- I bought my gear. Gosh, I can't remember. It, it's been four years or so now, um, that I've had my stuff basically whenever the tethered mantis came out, I was, yeah. I was one of the first, first to get that, that run. And honestly, I look at my equipment and I can't tell much of a difference <clears throat> now. I mean, it doesn't look worn in, you know, it, it no. it's still looking good because you're pulling your stuff out of the weather every time you come out of the woods and it's sitting in your garage or your shop or whatever. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not out there in the weather. It's not getting rained on, not getting the sun beaten down on it 365 days a year, quite like, um, you know, something from, from your tree stand or your straps or something like that would be. Uh, oh, yeah. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Cause we, we've talked a lot about why people should get into saddle hunting. We've talked about what do you need? We've talked about, uh, the, the initial cost. So you're somewhere around probably $600, assuming you buy it all brand new. I, uh, I've heard that there's a new saddle company out there. There are lots of new saddle companies out there, but yeah. Uh, there's one in particular I'm interested in hearing about, though. And uh, do you know anything about them? Something about uh, Overwatch Outdoors? Yeah, that's, you heard a, of them? that's a little saddle company by some redneck down in, in Kentucky, I think. Uh, so like everybody, man, I, I you know, work a job. And I'm also a full-time student. I'm finally back in school because you know school didn't go that well for me the first time around. So I figured I'd go back and finish up now that I'm a better, more disciplined student. And uh, I was making a lot of saddle hunting gear on the side. I, I started making the Nader and Sweater, which is a, uh, it's basically a, uh, an apparatus that helps you use less sticks or steps to climb a tree. So you still need the stick or the step to climb the tree, but you can use half the amount if you're using the Nader and Sweater. And, you know, don't do your research on that. I'm not trying to sell anybody on that guys still buy them every day. I thought that guys would quit buying those things years ago. They still buy them every day. Uh, wow. They work good. You know, it, it allows you, if you were using five sticks to get to 20 feet or 22 feet, you can use a Nader and Sweater and you only have to pack two sticks, maybe three sticks to get to the same height. And it's just the, you know, it weighs ounces and fits in your backpack. So I was making that uh, along with a bunch of other custom stuff for people all the time. Like we said, I, I, my grandma taught me how to use an old singer sewing machine. And I started repurposing and, and, and then eventually just making new gear to use saddle stuff. And along the way, I just got really good sewing because you know, I, I kind of picked things up quick and I'm pretty handy. And so I, I got decent at modifying and manufacturing gear that I needed that wasn't produced. Stuff that you couldn't go out and buy, but you know, stuff that came from the saddle hunting for guys would have an idea and say, hey, what about this? And then another guy would chime in and say, yeah, that would work, except this part's not safe. Let's do this instead. And it became an evolution of ideas. I just happened to be one of the guys that could look at one of those threads and be like, oh, well, this is how I would do it. So I started making gear for people. And that's that's been a thing I've done on the side for a few years now. And I got to the point to where I was a full-time employee for the state of Kentucky. I was a full-time student at Moorhead State University. And I was, any free time I had, I was at a sewing machine making gear for people. And one of those things had to go away. So I took a step back and realized that uh, I made more money with a sewing machine than I did working for the state. And it allowed me to have more free time to go to class and do homework and do projects and do anything I needed for school. So 
I finally took the plunge and started, you know, I, I, I left my job and started doing this sewing thing full time. That came about with, uh, I had a friend that, uh, so the Overwatch Outdoors, the saddle we make is called the Transformer saddle. It's kind of a culmination of every saddle that's came before it. In the saddle world, you have single panel saddles, which is one solid piece of material that you lean back into. You can sit in it. They're not great for sitting. They work really good for leaning. And then you have double panel saddles, which is basically like two uh, two single panel saddles put together that work a lot better for, for sitting. They're more comfortable. Most people think that a, a two panel saddle is the more comfortable way to go. The problem with a two panel saddle is that they're kind of a mess. If you put one in your backpack, when you pull it out at the base of the tree, it's going to be in a knot. If you're wearing it into the end of the tree, it's not going to, you know, they don't ride well to wear into the woods. A lot of people like to run saddlebags on their saddles where you can put your ropes, where you can put your leash, your cell phone, all kinds of things, your saddlebags. Right? And a lot of two panel saddles didn't really carry weight that well. So, I'd always been a single panel guy myself. I, I'm fine with leaning. And I think that most people that when they saddle hunt for more than a year, they start becoming more of a leaner and less of a sitter. But I still, what, I, do, what I, do you mean by that? Let me, let me stop you there real quick. You touched on something we didn't really mention earlier, a leaner and a sitter. So we're, we're in, we're in tree stands. We're climbing up and we're sitting down. What do you mean by leaner or sitter? So a leaner would be instead of sitting, a lot of people climb up a tree in a saddle and they put their platform up, and then they bend their knees, and they sit down into their saddle, facing the tree. A lot of guys will also put their feet on the platform and just stay, you know, remain standing, but lean backwards away from the tree and let the saddle take their weight, like you're leaning up against a, a counter or a wall. Right? Um, leaning is, I think, like I said, most people start out sitting because they come from a tree stand, and then they graduate to leaning. Leaning seems to be easier whenever you're wearing a single panel saddle because it's it doesn't have as much cuff around your butt. Mm -hmm. And a two panel saddle will hit the top of your butt and then cuff around and hit the bottom of your butt. So it makes it a little easier to sit in. I was a, a single panel guy and I built my own single panel saddles for years and I tweaked designs that were already existing to make them work better for me to where I could lean or sit. And I had a friend that was coming by to pick up one of my single panel saddles. And on the way, you know, he stopped and grabbed his gear and he had a two-panel saddle. And he was like, man, I love the way this thing feels when I'm in the tree. I hate everything else about it. Uh, he said, I, you know, it's, it's a mess to put on at the tree, especially in the dark. It doesn't wear weight well. It doesn't wear into the tree well. When I stand up, the bottom panel, you know, the top panel has got a waist belt on it. So it stays in place, but the bottom panel drops down to your knees and you have to reposition that every time. So... You know, he asked me, what would you fix? What, like, he knew I was a tinkerer. Right? I'm a, hey, I can make that better kind of guy. He said, how would you build this? So me and my friend Rick, we, uh, I had a bunch of materials in my den in my sewing room, and we started throwing materials out on the ground and, and working our way through it and gradually came up with the idea of Transformer, which is, it's honestly the first saddle that is a single-panel saddle that you can turn into a two-panel saddle. It's two panels that are connected together with adjustment straps. And when you tighten those adjustment straps all the way up, it's a single panel saddle. Whenever you loosen those adjustment straps out, it becomes a two panel saddle or anything in between. 
I actually run it with a little, like an inch, inch and a half of space between the panels, and that gives me a, a good cup around my butt that makes a nice hammock-style seat and makes it really comfortable to lean or sit in. But you can do almost anything in it. That's the, when I first came up with the idea, me and my friend Rick were working on it, and uh, you know we were like, wow, we've really, Rick just texted me right then. <laughs> he says, uh, what's the wedding link on your saddle? Okay. Um, when we first came up with the idea, you know, he took it out to a tree the next day and hunted out of it. He texted me all day. He's like, dude, this thing is, it's different. Like this is, this is better than any saddle I've ever set in. And, you know, the next day he came back and we started adding things to it. And I started building a few and sending them, sending them out to guys and guys were trying them out. All the feedback was really positive. And as I was building these saddles, I kept tweaking little things here and there, you know, thinking like, well, I would really like it if it could also do this or also do that. And along the way, we kind of landed on a what most people were calling the uh, the most adjustable saddle out there. You know, it it basically single panel saddles sit or lean really well. Two panel saddles sit really well. This one will do everything you want it to do really well. You know, there are probably saddles out there that shine in one area more than the transformer does, but this one does everything that you could ever need it to do well enough that you know. It's going to work for you. So I wouldn't say it's the best saddle out there. I mean, it's such a personal thing. Some guys really like a, a single panel saddle with no butt cut to it. Some guys like a two panel that they can, you know, basically sit like they're in a refiner. Uh, you know, people like different things. But if you're a guy that wants to be able to do a bunch of things with a saddle and, and have it do it well, I honestly think not just because I make it, just, just the feedback I get on it. It's it does everything you could ever need a saddle to do, and it does it well. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, Jamie. So you're a pretty humble dude. We've talked a couple times, and uh, you seem to be a pretty humble guy. And you said I'm not gonna say it's the best saddle out there. I uh, I've talked to several people about your saddle, and I have kept up with conversations about it on the forum. I've yet to see anybody disappointed with that saddle. Well, but the rev- the reviews that I have heard are. This is the best thing I've ever sat in, including some guys that I really, really trust, uh, guys that I know that I know personally, who say, "Man, this is the best thing I've ever I've ever sat in. This is the best of the saddles that are out there." So you may not want to say that, but I'll go ahead and throw that out there for the folks who might be considering that. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, I tell everybody, you know, I didn't reinvent the wheel here. You can look at that saddle and you can see parts of almost every saddle that exists, hmm. right? I took parts that I liked in every saddle company and just made a, made one saddle that does it all. And the main thing for me was doing it with quality because this thing is holding you off the ground. That you're trusting your life for this thing. I wanted it to be built with the best materials available. And when I started looking into the best materials available, it also became really important to me that they were all 100% American made. And that's one thing I'm really proud of with our saddle is every piece of that saddle right down to the thread is American made. Go into that just a little bit for me. So, um, made in the USA gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. Uh, in hunting equipment in general, we'll just, we'll just put it <clears> like that in hunting equipment in general. It doesn't always mean what people think it means. No. It doesn't mean those components come from the United States. Uh, it may mean it was assembled here. Exactly. Or, or something something like that. Uh, so reading between the lines, help me understand what it means 
because I think your saddle's unique in in this regard. So what do you mean when you say this is an American-made saddle? Uh, people out there may have heard the term very compliant. Have you ever heard that term? I have. So in order for a, a product or a material to be very compliant, the materials have to be sourced from the U.S. and they have to be made in the U.S. and assembled in the U.S. Right? Like every, you can't buy pieces from China and put them together in Tennessee or Ohio or Kentucky and say it's made, it's very compliant. It may be made in the U.S. because you put it together in the U.S., but it's not very compliant. So when I started getting into gathering up materials to make these saddles, I kept seeing the term very compliant thrown around and started doing some research. And I was like, well, that, you know, that's the way to do it. Right? Like, I'm not going to. I'm not looking to get rich at this. I'm definitely not getting rich at this. I'm not making nearly as much money as I thought I was going to, but I'm making enough to get by. You know, the thing that's more important to me is I can pay the bills and I can provide people with a product that I 100% believe in. And I'm proud of because the webbing is all very compliant. The Cordura that we're using is very compliant. The, uh, the metal components that we're using. When I originally designed this title, we were using uh, really good name brand materials uh, Austria Alpin, they make high-end climbing equipment. And I was using their metal parts for the D-rings and for the buckles and things like that. And now we we make all those in-house. So the D-rings on that saddle are made in a, uh, in a metal fab shop in Florida. You know, they buy the aluminum, they CNC machine them, they anodize them, they do all that in Florida. The buckles come from the uh, a company in California, uh, Raptor ADF buckles. And we've, we've looked at maybe possibly making our own buckles too. But for right now, you know, I have a, a source to get buckles that are made in the U.S. Right? Um, the ropes, Sterling is a U.S. company. You know, that's what's on your bridge. I just thought if I can, if I can swing it, why not use all U.S. materials and keep all the money that goes into this thing in the U.S. And uh, I've been really proud of that. I think that, you know, a lot of people, they really like the made in the USA thing until it comes time to pay for it. Yep. You that's know? right. But you can, you, I can eat a little bit of that cost and make less of a profit, but provide a, a, a better quality product. When you pick up, I remember uh, everybody's heard of Kapari backpacks, right? If you haven't looked them up, they make the best backpacks in the industry. They're expensive, but they're nice, and they're made in the U.S. And whenever uh, the first thing I saw about one of my saddles on the Saddle Hunter forum is a guy said that uh, the first time he touched the Transformer saddle, it was like touching a Kapari backpack. Hmm. Just the quality of the materials, the quality of the craftsmanship, all of it was there. And that's probably the nicest thing I've seen. I mean, yeah, guys, oh, it's the best thing I've ever sat in, or man, it looks really well put together, whatever, right? Honestly, that one comment was the nicest thing I've seen about that saddle because I have a Kafari backpack. I paid $750 for that setup, and I wasn't disappointed when I got it because when you put your hands on it, you can feel like, oh, this is what quality feels like, right? Yep. And that's the same thing I have with my saddle, I think. Well, and something you haven't done, when I look at your saddles compared to others, yours is very compliant. A lot of others aren't. Mm -hmm. And you're still in the same ballpark as far as price. You haven't passed that cost onto the consumer <laughs> yeah we uh what's the, going on uh, with that the guy that helps me get those produced he tells me all the time that i need to raise the price and honestly i probably do i'm not making very much money on a saddle at all but 
I'm making enough. You know, one of the big things for me was in a business standpoint, the saddle I'm making costs a lot more to make because of all the U.S. made products and having it made in the U.S. Everything's made in the U.S. It costs more to have it made. It should cost more to buy it. But, you know, why do I need to make X amount of dollars on this product just because, you know, I can? I should be making a, say I should make a 66% profit on it. I, I could probably price it to that and make that profit, but that prices a lot of people out of it. And I didn't want to do that. I would, I would, I would be more happy making a 30% profit on each saddle and keeping it in the ballpark where the average guy can afford to use it and buy it and be happy with it. Yeah, so that, those are the things that I think set set your saddle apart. You got the quality. You've got guys saying that this is the best, most comfortable thing that they've ever sat in. Uh, I think just the sheer adjustability of it. I think it is the most adjustable saddle that's out there. You can pretty much do anything you want to in it. What uh, make the case for, uh, let's say, guys who are who are thinking about the two panel saddle, but they're looking out there and they're like, okay. There's so many one. I mean, the, the the market is dominated right now by one panel saddles. Why should they look into a two panel? Well, if you're a guy that that has done some saddle hunting and you are only ever going to lean, buy the one panel. Like seriously, buy the, if you are only ever going to lean in your saddle and you're not doing any of the fancy acrobatic climbing techniques, buy a single panel saddle and be happy with it. It's light. It holds up nice. It fits in your backpack. And you're going to be happy with it. If you're a guy that likes to tinker and try new things, you're going to eventually stumble onto things that you might not be able to do with a single panel saddle as well. And you'll end up buying a two panel too. <laughs> uh, for me, like I said, whenever you tighten the, uh, the panels together on the transformer, it's a single panel saddle. When you let them out, it's a two panel. And it can do everything in between. So for me, I like, like I said earlier, buy the nicest thing you can get up front. And that way you won't ever be disappointed with it. I would rather buy something that I know I can do anything with and it's going to last. It's well made. I can do anything I'm ever going to want to do with it. And then I only have to buy, you know, buy it one time. That's the big selling point for me. If you're, uh, you know, this saddle is comfortable for leaners, setters, guys that are doing SRT climbing, one stick climbing, rappelling. It's got all kinds of little added benefits that, you know, the average person that we're talking to right now is not going to have a clue what we're talking about, so no need to go into it. But they'll eventually, on down the road, if they get into saddle hunting, they're going to be like, oh, that's why he put that there. you know. So I really, really thought this design through for a long time and and used it. That's the main thing is I used it and had other guys using it, not just me, because you're going to be really proud of something you make. The thing is, get it out to other people that know what they're doing and let them use it and let them give you feedback on it. That's how you make a better product. And that's how we designed the transformer. My friend Rick that helped me design it, and that guy, he's owned every saddle ever made. He he has tried everything. And you know, when he texted me that morning after I built the first transformer and said, Hey, dude, you you've nailed it. Like this is it. And he hasn't bought another saddle since then because he bought a new one every month. <laughs> he hasn't bought another one since then. So that tells me, okay, this may be it. That's what gave me the confidence to walk away from my job and do this full time. Well, I, I think we've given folks quite a bit to chew on uh, as far as how to get into saddle hunting, uh, the benefits of it, and I think what makes the Transformer saddle unique. If people want to find out more about a Transformer saddle, what do they need to do? Where do they need to go? 
Yeah, I have a Facebook and Instagram. Pretty easy to find. I, I'm not a big social media guy, so it, it's really lacking. I'm just not, you know, you've talked to me enough times to know I'm not a big toot your horn kind of guy. I'm not a, I'm not a marketing guy. You know, I don't market this saddle at all. I don't do any type of commercial, you know, whatever. Guys get it and use it and they tell other people and they buy it and use it. The best thing to do is go to overwatchoutdoors.com or .net. Somebody owns that .com. <laughs> go to overwatchoutdoors.net. Uh, you know, you can see saddles there. You can see custom saddles that I've made. I'm working on on uh, putting the production saddles. That's something we should probably cover. I was making all these saddles by myself. And, you know, that was fine. It was really time consuming. Now I've worked with Mark from Treehopper LLC, who produces the Treehopper Recon. It was known in the industry as being the best made saddle. They're selling is top notch because the factory that makes those is a parachute factory. And they've been making parachutes for forever. If you're going to trust your life to a parachute, you know, a parachute company, they're probably going to be pretty good at making something that, you, that isn't going to take like a big impact. Now, you're sitting in a saddle. You're not jumping out of a plane. And uh, for me, that was important, finding the right person to produce the saddle. I wanted somebody that could do it as well or better than me, and they can do it better than I can do it. They make, I mean, you'll see videos coming out soon now that guys are getting their hands on the actual production model from the, from the factory. They are the best made hunting product I've ever seen. Those guys do a fantastic job. They're super clean. They're super strong. They just feel, feel like quality in your hands. So those guys are producing the saddles for me. They, they can make 400 per month if I need them to. It's been kind of a slow start rolling out those first pre-orders. You know, I got a bunch of pre-orders up front, and I'm almost through with all those. almost got all those orders filled. But uh, I think I have like seven saddles left to send out. But I'm getting saddles in the mail every day. I tie the bridges on. I check them out. I box them up and I send them to the customer. I touch every saddle that goes out. So right now is the time to get in and get one. If you need a saddle, even if you don't go to Overwatch Outdoors and buy a saddle, buy it now and use it before the season starts. Get comfortable with it before the season starts. If you need any information about a saddle, I'm happy to talk to you. My, my phone number, my cell phone is on our website. I think that's how you got it, right? Yeah, it is. I, it was one of the most surprising things. I was like, you know, I wanted to, to have a podcast episode about saddle hunting. And I thought about the different options out there because there are quite a few manufacturers out there now. And when I went to your website, it was uh, no fuss, no frills. And you had your cell phone number up there. <laughs> and we're like, hey, give me, give me a call if you have a question. I was like, okay, this dude, he's standing behind this product so much that he's got a cell phone number on this thing. So uh, yeah, so that's how I got it. Oh, guys are always surprised whenever they call and I answer the phone. They're like, holy crap, you actually answered the phone? I'm like, well, it's my cell phone. If, if somebody else answers it, you know, get in touch with me and let me know because they've stolen my cell phone. <laughs> but no, I don't care a bit, man. Guys call me all day, every day, and we talk saddle hunting. And, and I've sold a lot of guys Transformers, but I've also sold a lot of other saddles for other people. <laughs> you know, I, I tell people the truth about it. If, if, like I said, if you're only ever going to lean in a saddle, buy a single panel saddle. Don't even don't even look for transform. If you're 100 set on the on leaning, buy a single panel. But I try to be honest with people about not just saddles. Guys call me and ask me about ropes, uh, ascenders, friction hitches, all kinds of stuff, and I don't mind a bit. That's you know, it's kind of the same thing with saddlehunter.com. 
you know, I, I love that community. I'm on there every day. I answer questions and messages on there every day too. You know, ask people. If you don't know something, ask people. And most of the time, guys are going to be really honest and upfront with you and give you the right information. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I hope that you would buy a transformer because you see the quality and you see the adjustability and you see what I put into it. But it may not be right for you. And if you want to call me and talk about it, we can talk about it and figure out what is right. And that's it. I just think that's how people should do business. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I think... You know, I think that's one of the things that makes uh, that makes your company stand out. You're going to shoot people straight. But I do think that if folks are just getting into a saddle, like you said, now's the time to get it. Get it so that you can practice for the, the upcoming year so you don't have that really frustrating first experience when you first climb the tree on opening morning or whatever, and it's the first time you've ever gotten the thing out. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and start looking into it now. And if you're new to this and you don't know what you like yet, I think the Transformer is probably going to be a good start for a lot of folks. Uh, oh yeah. Just like I said, as far as they, they don't know if they're a sitter or a leaner, you figure that out over a season. You don't figure that out overnight. So, uh, I think, I think folks should give it a try. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, old time saddle hunters that are trying it out. You know, I've, I've guys that I've known from the forum for years that are like, Hey, can you get me one of those? And you know, they get it and they're like, okay, this, it's exactly what I thought it was. And that's why I wanted it. But like I said, man, go to overwatchoutdoors.net the website sucks right now. I'm sorry. I haven't had time to do anything with it because I've been busy <laughs> building saddles and, and getting this production thing lined out, but I'm working on the website. It'll be better. Get on Instagram at Overwatch Outdoors. Uh, I think it's Overwatch Outdoor on Instagram. At Overwatch Outdoor. On Facebook, Overwatch Outdoors. Send us a message. You know, you'll talk to me. You'll talk to Taylor. We'll shoot you straight. Give you any advice we can. Yep, and they can also find you on the Saddle Hunter forum, saddlehunter.com, jcline84. Uh, yep, right? jcline84 on saddlehunter.com. Excellent, good deal. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again, uh, maybe to talk a little less gear and a little more hunting and oh, hunting yeah. strategy. And, uh, listen, I got off on so many tangents, I don't know if I answered any questions you asked me today. Oh, you did. You nailed them all. You nailed them all, but I've got a lot more, so we'll have you on again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you too, man. And that's it for this week's episode. Big thanks to Jamie for coming on the podcast. If you are intrigued or would like more information about his tree saddle, the Transformer, then you can head over to overwatchoutdoors.net. Or if you just have general questions about saddle hunting and what that looks like, head over to the Saddle Hunter Forum, saddlehunter.com. It's an awesome resource for anybody who is interested in saddle hunting or who is already saddle hunting. As I said in the introduction, we are about 50 days away from the opener of deer season here in Wisconsin. So get outside, shoot your bow, do some scouting, check your trail cameras, do whatever you need to do to get yourself ready for the opener. Most importantly, make sure that you are enjoying the resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen. 